Fashion Consort News Bites is a podcast that covers breaking news and current issues in the fashion, lifestyle, and retail industries. Insight and perspective is provided by the experts at Fashion Consort, an agency based in New York City focused on creating, producing, and delivering content that inspires, entertains, and educates. Follow us on Instagram at Fashion Consort Agency and learn more at fashionconsort.com. Hello, hello, and thank you for listening in on this uh, Fashion Consort News Bites. I'm really excited to have a group of guests from Fashion Consort Agency with me today. I'm Joshua Williams. I'm the founder and president of Fashion Consort, an agency based in New York City that really focuses on developing content that helps organizations to train, educate, and even entertain employees and customers, and to really think differently about how we can use digital content to to do that. We wanted to talk to you as an agency about some of the things that we're thinking about in our own jobs, in our own roles, our perspectives and our insights into fashion, into the lifestyle business, things that we're thinking about, um, that we're scared about, things also that we are planning to do to help companies as they start to emerge uh, into the post-pandemic. We know for sure that it's not going to be business as usual and that things will change. And not only will they change as we sort of open up, but they're going to change over time as well, because one of the things that we're thinking will happen is that Now that we're practicing uh, social distancing and we're practicing quarantining, which is very difficult for a lot of us, uh, we're we're starting to build habits about that. And when we go back into the public, it's going to be an adjustment to get back into that. And so stores, for example, are going to have to think a little bit differently about how they engage customers in a safe way that feels um, comfortable to people as they start to ameliorate themselves to sort of the next thing. So I'm really excited about having Karen Pang here tonight, um, Isabella Don Nataro, Corinne Phillips, and Susanna Moyer, all part of the Fashion Consort Agency. Hey guys, it's so great to have you all here. Hey, great to be here. Great to be here. So I want to jump into our first uh, kind of topic, which is really circling around fashion brands and want to hear sort of your thoughts, your insights, your perspective about how you think fashion brands are going to need to adapt post-pandemic. I think that we're all feeling, you know, the same in terms of the restriction that we have. And... And just as a consumer, of course, myself and all of us, I think that that I'm, of course, pulling back, but I'm also looking at what is going to be interesting and kind of putting on my radar different companies that are continuing to be exposed and uh, have presence on social media and and really are trying to still connect with the consumer, even though they're kind of pulling back. So I think... I think that for me personally, as a consumer, uh, I really want to look at my needs first and and then look at what's aspirational for me to to be looking for once I can be with my friends again, wear what I want to wear again, you know, not be on video and and have meetings via Zoom and Google Meet. So I think that I'm 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 getting to the point where I, I want to shop again. I want to go out. I want to find the newest things. You know, one of the things that I think about is 
how will our behaviors change? So you started off in the beginning about we've been going through this shelter, you know, we're sheltering in, uh, we're quarantining, there's a whole aspect of social distancing. So when we go back out there, uh, if I go into a, a boutique to shop, is my temperature going to get checked? <laughs> because that's our new norm. You know, right. if I'm going to shop, do I have to wear a mask? You know, will the store offer me a mask? Is that part of customer service? If I'm going out to eat, you know, I've seen on the news in Asia, they have almost like a plexiglass and a barrier because you want to keep your distance. But at the same time, you still want to be social. So, you know, these are these are some of the things that I'm thinking about, which is we have to cross the bridge and we're now experiencing our new normal, but what's the next new normal when, you know, the um, COVID begins to be, you know, begins to, to taper down and we can begin to go out again. So those are just some of my thoughts. As all good podcasts go, especially when you're recording in the evening, you make sure that you have a good drink with you. And we're all drinking our fashion consort tonic tonight. And I know, Phil, you were out shopping a little bit earlier. And yeah. I don't know about you, but a couple of weeks ago felt very weird crossing the street when I saw some somebody coming or going to a, a supermarket and sort of avoiding people very obviously. And I have to say now, I have no problem doing that and nobody else does either. We just sort of see each other and we veer to the other side. And I'm curious uh, what your thoughts are uh, about, you know, how that's going to translate as we get out of this. Are people going to want to just sort of hug each other and touch each other and we're so excited to be back together? Or are we going to still be in that sort of state of um, avoiding each other a little bit or at least being concerned? Well, I think that, um, you know, I've watched the news daily, basically, and you know, there's this big push right now to reopen, you know, reopen the world, basically reopen stores, reopen the, the economy. And, you know, there are some people in the federal government that really want to push for that and get that moving as soon as possible. But the truth of the matter is, it's like we have a virus that we have no vaccine for. And so we're still in a situation where if you reopen too soon, we're going to find ourselves in, in pretty bad shape, you know, and we're still not out of the woods now, of course. But I think that what you guys, what, you know, what Karen was saying, what Suzanne was saying, I think that this, we, we are in, we are going to be experiencing this way of living for a while. And it is weird to be going outside and, and noticing people distancing from, from each other. But that's kind of what was needed to flatten the curve. But I think what's going to happen is that as we see a push towards reopening, it's going to look very different than the way we were living previously. And we have to get used to that. And I think that in terms of retail, there is going to be difference. It's going to be a big difference. People aren't going to be able to just walk into stores. They're going to limit how many people can walk into a store because we don't have a vaccine. And if a vaccine doesn't exist, then you still have a problem. So I think we're going to be doing this for a while. But I think that at first we're going to want to run and hug our friends and, and get back to you know, like human interaction in the way that we were used to. But I don't think we have the option of doing that for a while because we still don't know you know, what the implications of that can be. And we know, though, I think that if we don't do it safely and we don't do it with a plan in place, that we are going to be looking at a situation where we can be in really bad shape. So I think that what I will say for brands is that if they can't have people just walking into stores and they can't just let as many people into stores as possible, they're going to really have to think about an online offering. And if, if their online offering right now is weak, they really have to figure out how they're going to shore that up. I mean, we're definitely already seeing that, that uh, we're seeing which brands were prepared to be online in a more fundamental way and which brands were selling online, but perhaps weren't thinking as 
as thoughtfully about the online experience as, as some retailers are. Isabella, I mean, this is your area. You've just prior to the pandemic, you had a pop-up store. What, what's going through your mind as you're thinking about what you know a store of the future will look like? And by future, I mean in three months, hopefully, if we all get out of this or in six months or in eight months. Yeah, I, I definitely think that we're more along uh, the trajectory of a three to six month ratio at this point. And we were already in a massive disruption with fashion meeting technology. But the brands that haven't gone online, you know, I think that what's going to be looking differently in the future is that we're going to have more stores that have interactive selling, you know, perhaps virtual dressing rooms and mirrors and different aspects that if they weren't already on board with their e-commerce that they're going to need to get on board quickly and social media is going to be a big part of that and we have to start thinking about it's a very different marketplace to go from brick and mortar to online so it's about us coming up with seeing this as an opportunity and not a big pity party and having our fashion consort tonics uh, and thinking about how are we going to change this in the future? And I think the best way to do that is to build that bridge of uh, fashion meeting technology. And I think that it's going to change things for the brands immensely. I really do. So the other day I posted a, a short form of, of News Bites, and it really looked at two issues. One, the major retailers and the fact that they're suffering because they are so big and the impact of this is literally rippling through their organization. Uh, Macy's laid off more than 120,000 employees. That's over 90% of their uh, employee base. On the other hand, the smaller companies that have really been tech-based and millennial-driven and the ones that have been very agile and really sort of moving into the space and sort of taking up room where Macy's and other major retailers are not, they're also struggling because, frankly, they don't have a lot of cash. And a lot of those startup companies have a year to three years really to, to sort of take off or they're sort of dead in the water. And for a, a startup brand, this is really dire. So we have the majors who are struggling from cash flow because they're too big. And we have the smaller startups also struggling from cash flow issues. And I'm just curious if anyone has any thoughts about how, from a financial perspective, and maybe Karen, you can you can speak to this, how uh, brands are going to be able to open their doors and to provide the experiences that we're talking about when they're going to be so short on cash. I think that brands, you know, really have to think about how they're going to come back into the fold. We, you know, we, again, we talk about our new normal social distancing. And also I listen, I'm listening to the news and, you know, listening to the governor speak and he's talking about a plan in place that, you know, public health has to come with getting the economy, you know, back started. But I think part of it is, how do you get that consumer to still purchase and have experiences if the game is going to change in your brick and mortar? And I think it's going to be about technology and how technology comes into play. And that's what Isabella is talking about. And I think that a lot of companies have to build very robust technology platforms in order to get the customer. And I think too, going back to the behaviors, I think, you know, we have all of these different generations. We talk about millennials or Gen Z, et cetera, but, you know, we talk about, for example, baby boomers, 
Some of them are tech savvy. Some of them are not so tech savvy. But I think this is also going to cause a change in their behaviors that might say, I probably have to be tech savvy. And so if I'm not shopping online, I might have to shop online. So, you know, these are some of the thoughts that are going on in my mind. So there's sort of a great equalizer happening, maybe not in terms of bigger society, but just in the fact that we're all having to meet each other at this technology foundation, right? I mean, I know that's happening in education where a lot of professors who've resisted anything related to online teaching have been thrust right into that. And I think we'll talk about that a little bit later. But I want to jump to a different question that's related to fashion, but more specifically around retail, around buying and selling. We've seen massive, massive dips in in purchases of apparel, and I think that makes sense. And obviously things like food and toilet paper um, are on the other side of that scale. But what do you think about the changing values or or are there changing values around how and what people are going to buy post-pandemic? And by that I mean... I'm not thinking about, frankly, the next uh, piece of clothing I'm getting. I'm thinking literally about how I can go on vacation as soon as I can to wherever it may be and just to have an experience outside of my apartment. And I'm curious, you know, what your thoughts are. And I'll start with you, Susanna. So so I totally agree with you. Uh, I was on on Zoom with my friend in Paris, Berlin. We had made plans to to meet up this summer. It's her birthday, a big birthday. And and I'm with you on that idea of, of really when's the next trip. We don't know when that is. So I think that, you know, looking at where we'll end up spending money, where we'll want to spend money, again, back to what I said before, I think, what do we need? What can make our lives better as we transition into what we want to do um, without restrictions? And then... Maybe if you're not wanting to buy any clothing, Joshua, maybe it's like accessories or something that can be used to just perk something up when you're looking at your spending and kind of pulling back and forth because everybody's going to be pulling back and forth. Am I going to have a full-time job? Am I going to be going out more? As we realize what's happening on the medical front with how they're going to solve this, this issue of getting us vaccinated or tested or whatnot. But I think for myself when I'm when I'm with my class and teaching or when I'm in uh, Isabella and I are working on a project right now as I'm working on a project with you and the rest of our group um, as we meet up with clients online we're all looking at how we can change it up a little bit because we're all looking the same every time we meet up and the same wall and the same you know whatever so I think I think little things will will make us happy as we purchase and get back on board. Yeah, like you said, the uh, accessories and the face masks, they're a necessity. And I think that we're going to see a lot of designer face masks or perhaps using them as a form of marketing. You know, your that is going to always be showing. So if you have your company logo smacked in the middle of your face mask, that's going to be one of the biggest forms of marketing that's going to be out there. Wow, you're so right. Now I'm a little scared about all of the potential there. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, I think in some cases, it's not so much, so I'm talking about maybe experiences, and I think that's already been a shift that's happening in the marketplace anyway, uh, that, that especially American consumers are, are more interested in buying experience. But experiences often also includes 
buying something at the end of it or buying something to go on that vacation with. I think that that's that's a, a good point that perhaps a company should start thinking a little bit about how they can be part of the journey that happens after yeah. this pandemic, right? And building the story. Right now, it's the perfect time for, for brands to really engage their consumer on a completely different level. And some of them, like you said, more of the you know millennial type brands have already been doing this. But now, even luxury, they were so resistant to online shopping. But there's not a choice at this point. So the way to do it is to is in their content and how they're engaging their people and what is their story and get, getting people involved in their story. So at the end of the day, they buy into it. Isabel, all I keep thinking is that like this whole pandemic is like basically accelerated the inevitable in terms of like brands having to get online. This is incredible because it's like this was like already sort of happening and now it's just been sped up. Like, I find that fascinating. And including what Joshua had said about the experience, you know, the, the consumer marketing, all of the statistics have been showing that what is selling, experience is selling. You know, even uh, vintage retail is doing better. And and Karen could speak more to this. The the big TJ Maxx's, they, who, the only people that w- were still not in the red were the people that will still exist after this is all over because people will be looking for more offline and cheaper items because basically they want to focus on what's going to give them that experience and what's going to give them that life experience, especially after being cooped up for this long. Yeah, it's incredible because I just saw this New York Times graphic that actually the off-price retailers are the ones suffering the most in the apparel space. And I thought that was so shocking because I thought, you know, perhaps that would be the area that was still doing fairly well. But what it belies, I think, is uh, the middle class of America not being able to to shop and being very fearful about their jobs if they haven't already lost them. And, and that that sort of that area where TJ Maxx, Marshalls, and those stores were really incredibly connected to their customer, that might be a customer that doesn't exist after this, or at least might take some time, you know, get back into to the workforce and to be able to get money again and then be able to spend. And I'm curious, I have two thoughts about this. One is a generational, and Karen, you mentioned that a little earlier. I also read a very interesting uh, article on the Robin Report the other day that talks about how Gen Z uh, consumers actually are spending less because they were before this all happened, they were more fearful about money and whether or not they were going to be able to get through college and how they were going to pay for it and and knowing that probably they wouldn't own a house until much later in life. All the things that Gen X and baby boomers sort of took for granted and millennials were sort of in between that. And so there's a there is a great fear that the rising generation already wasn't spending money and that this moment in time is sort of proving them right, that they had every right to be fearful about what was coming next. So I'm curious if anyone has any thoughts about that, because that's got to be very scary for retailers if they're thinking, oh, my God, you know, these these 19, 20 year olds that are kind of coming of age, going to college, getting ready to go out in the workforce are the least likely to purchase things. Does anyone have any thoughts about that? I mean, I just, that's, I'm a little surprised to hear that, to be honest with you. It's hard to, to respond to it because it's really, it's really surprising. And I, can I ask a question? <laughs> Absolutely. So they were fearful that they wouldn't have jobs, that they wouldn't be able to like pay off like uh, college debt. What is the reason why? Yeah. So, so as a general rule, Gen Z have been a little bit 
fearful about their potential. In other words, they feel a lot of weight on their shoulders about what they can achieve in today's market. And there is a lot of unrest politically and the ability to travel and to sort of make, you know, turn themselves into something, so to speak. And that that's, that has sort of led to an unwillingness to spend money. But there's also a bigger shift going on that started with millennials, which is that millennials do tend to buy less things and buy more experiences. One of the reasons that luxury brands have done so well is that they've kind of moved away from luxury, to be honest, and they've moved into more experiential sort of collections, whether you're talking about Supreme and Louis Vuitton and some of these other brands that are really looking at engaging. It's very little about the product and much more about the experience of standing in line, hanging out with your friends, going into the space. So there's, there's a real worry that this pandemic is going to further push them to hold on to their money and to spend it primarily on experience and spend it very wisely and very uh, thriftily. I, th- I think part of it was also the, the aspect of being ecologically more sound. And that was a huge shift as well. And um, it's almost like, again, it, we're being forced into that disruption of, yes, vintage was doing better with the younger generations and that's why uh you know i just had had a pop-up and really secondhand and you know helping the environment and i think that there will be more of a push towards the organic the green the less is more but maybe you know keeping it quality yeah you're absolutely right sustainability had a lot to do with that just a very big concern about consuming right and what that's doing to the planet i want to also talk a little bit about Luxury, because luxury, I I don't think we can talk about fashion and not talk about luxury, because I think there's a lot of conversations happening right now in that space. We just saw in China that Dior is on fire. Post-pandemic, Dior is selling more uh, things than any other brand. And and that's always shocking to me. But but on the flip side, I, I know that's not going to happen in America. I mean, the pandemic's not going to end and we're not going to all run over. Americans are not running to buy Dior. <laughs> if anything, they might be running to their favorite, I don't know, could it be J. Crew, Anthropology? I don't even know that those are the right brands. So I am curious, and maybe Karen, you can jump in here, what you think uh, brands have to think about in terms of buying and selling from a more global perspective, because what's happening in China, uh, while it can give us sort of a roadmap, is probably not exactly what's going to happen in the U.S. I think consumption uh, globally is, you know, is is very different. I just read an article, it was everywhere, but the one that I happened to catch was in Rob Report, where they had just opened the Hermes, one of the store, one of the Hermes stores back up. um, And in one day, they did $2.7 million in in China. And I think, you know, to your, to your point, is, is that going to happen, you know, in the States? Um, You know, I'm not psychic, so I don't know, but based on trends that are happening. I don't know if that's, you know, if that's going to happen. But I think when you look at this, I'm going to use China as the backdrop, but China uh, very much technologically advanced in terms of Tmall, Alibaba, WeChat, you know, everything is focused, for example, around WeChat, their world is on this, you know, app. I think the way we shop in the States is, is very different. And I think it's, it's mostly connected to, you know, a generational cohort, a, uh, you know, different, different cultures, perhaps. And so 
we are, you know, we're getting the online, the brick and mortar. And I think it's going to happen, you know, very differently. And I think if we're connecting this to what's happening with COVID and how we're going to get out, I think it's going to be very different how we shop, especially if we think about if we're going to brick and mortar and it's an enclosed space. So in- what we're doing now in terms of, you know, I have to social distance. So then I sort of take it to the next level because I'm doing, you know, research on shopping malls and how is that going to impact the shopping mall? I mean, it's a four wall. It's this big space, four walls. We're just, we're going through this pandemic right now. We've been taught as a new norm to social distance. And it's this enclosed, you know, the ones that I know of in the Northeast are mostly enclosed. Right. So how does that impact? There's, I think there's a lot of, it's, there's a tree and there's just a lot of branches that'll be sprouting. Well, it's interesting, I, I should add about Dior, that a lot of those cells actually came through U.S. retailers, but they were Chinese, Russian, Indian customers uh, because American um, retailers have the goods because nobody can buy them here in the U.S. But so hungry customers in China were able to come to the likes of Bergdorf Goodman and be able to order that and have that shipped to them. Which I think belies another thing here is that we, we are, I think, a lot more global than we like to imagine, um, especially in our particular uh, political climate, in that, you know, Bergdorf could very well post um, very high sales and talk about a a rebirth of consumerism post-pandemic, but that might very well not be American consumers that are shopping. It could be Chinese consumers shopping American retailers. And there's nothing wrong with that, but I think it, it also changes the conversation a bit about who our customer is and, and, and how we reach them and how we engage them. Because if Bergdorf is really primarily a retailer for tourists, let's say, right, for people who are not or who do not live in this country, um, that's a very different um, business model than if you're serving your local community, the local New York City community. Um, And I'm not saying that they're not, but I'm just saying that I think this is kind of opening the door to the reality of what's really going on behind the scenes that perhaps we haven't seen before. I want to jump to a a slightly different question. I just want to jump out a little bit and talk about businesses in general. What do you think that businesses are going to have to start to think about as they try to find ways to help their employees as they come back to work to feel safe, to feel like they even want to go back? I mean, we all want to go back because we want to get out of our houses, I think. But there's also, uh, I think, a fear of like, can can I go back and work at my desk? How is that going to work? And not only that, there's a lot of conversation about core values and what businesses stand for. And and there is a real hope that businesses are thinking a lot more uh, humanistically about how they want to approach business going forward, realizing that their workforce is really key to their success. And yet this is a this is a workforce that's going to come back to work unsure. Right. And not not totally understanding how to reengage with with the pandemic and with the virus. So does anyone want to speak to that? Maybe um, Phil can start us off there. I think that what employees want to see is obviously to know that uh, their employers are taking the, you know, the, the virus very seriously. So that would mean that they are thinking about, you know, I heard something today about when they open up again, when, when the economy opens up again, they may do uh, a situation where people are staggered in terms of um, how many people can be at the workplace at one time. 
you know, so that to make sure that, you know, people are keeping, there are not too many people in one place at one time. I think employees want to know that their employers are taking that very seriously. So that means making sure that there are, there aren't too many people gathering in one place because unless everyone's been tested and we know everyone's safe, that they're, they're putting precautions in place to make sure that everyone's safe. They want to make sure that they want to know that their employees are making, making sure the space has been cleaned and disinfected properly. And, and, you know, and, um, and anything that they need in terms of like making sure their hands are washed or, or you know making sure they keep themselves um, like safe. I think they, I think that's what employees want. They want to know that their employees are on top of it and that they're thinking about it and they they're aware of what sort of precautions and things need to be put in place so that we don't you know, don't find themselves in a situation. Uh, like we're in right now. I want to take this one step further because you just published an article uh, on our website about uh, podcasts and the ability for businesses to think differently about how they disseminate information. I don't know about you guys, but I'm kind of sick of the emails that start off in these unprecedented times. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) I've been getting them from restaurants. I've gotten them from, you know, fashion brands. Like, Come on, guys. You know, like I've been to this restaurant once and and I don't I don't blame them. I think everyone's trying. But but there's got to be a better way of sharing content, sharing information and more importantly, sharing values than through an email. I, I was just reading a book that's that's wonderful called Do Nothing. And it really talks about how we're sort of overwhelmed um, as employees with email and that actually the best way to communicate is through the voice because there's so many different ranges and timbres and tones that clue us into how somebody else is thinking and that the more and more we engage in text and email we're missing out on on the full range of the human connection that people used to get when they just talked and uh, again you posted something uh recently about podcasts as a as a potential for that can you speak to that a little bit yeah, I do think that um, podcasts have the potential to come into a business. A corporate podcast is a great way to disseminate uh, information, to disseminate sort of values that a company uh, might want to sort of convey to their employees. I also think it's a great way to give employees an, a voice within the corporation, uh, a way to sort of share some of their experiences, a way to sort of reach out in uh, the sake, for the sake of connection to uh, their fellow employees. I think it's a great way to to get things across and to create a sort of more culture within a corporation. Uh, I think that people are tired of emails. They are experiencing email fatigue. When I was working for like JP Morgan Chase, for example, whenever we saw, you know, the in the news sort of JP Morgan Chase email, like everyone ignored it. No one, no one read it. No one knew what said. Maybe there was something, some valuable information there, but the vehicle email was, was just, you were already overwhelmed with email. So I think that corporate podcasts have the ability to bring a human connection component back to a corporation. And I think that it would be a good idea, especially at the end of this, this uh, sort of, lockdown period for corporations to think about bringing in companies to do that work and to create ways for um, them to have a voice that is using something that people use. I mean, when you think about podcasts, you use it as something that you voluntarily want to listen to, right? But in a workplace now, it's, you know, you're now bringing in a vehicle that you usually voluntarily listen to while you're working out or, or, um, driving home or whatever, it just is a different way to, to bring that information in, in a more personal way, in a more human sort of connection way. 
we've talked a little bit about that because I think we often think of technology as very high tech, right? And a podcast is a perfect example of a lo-fi tech. It's, it's, it, there's not a whole lot that goes into it. And yet it's technology that's driving it that makes it possible for everyone to listen and engage. Like you said, in a way that's a little bit more organically part of their lives, perhaps when they're working out. Uh, and I really like, you know, really like that idea. Um, Suzanne, I want to go to you because you're thinking a lot right now about how to um, educate or train businesses to sort of think differently about design. Certainly, as we get out of this pandemic, I think there's going to be a higher expectation of transparency in design, design that actually means something that isn't just sort of thrown out there on the, you know, the runway or into the store floor and you're supposed to, to buy it without thinking about it. I'm just curious what your thoughts are as you think about how we might move forward perhaps digitally, perhaps using some of these lo-fi tech um, ideas to train businesses, to train the businesses that you work with um, on a day-to-day basis. So I just want to talk about Phil's, uh, what she said about podcasts. I think one, you know, podcasts could be really interesting within a business, um, within the training, within groups, designers, telling the rest of the company in production or in IT or whatever's going on in the business. To, like what what's going on with what they're doing and and you could again like Phil said you could listen to it as you're you know riding home on the subway or the bus or whatever and kind of learning about what other people do so I I just love that idea of podcast and people could do it within like Phil could go into a company train them kind of get people talking about different things. I think that would be an amazing way for people to come together. And it is tech, but it is personal and it, it has personal stories attached to it. So the, you know, working with designers and working with the different segments of design and that, that connection with merchandising and the retailers, I think that you know, looking at how we work and how we're creative and, and not following trends, looking at trends and creating within the company and really making it exciting. I think everybody got really bored with the same product. And and I'll go back to the off the shoulder top, which kind of Donna Karen at, at Parsons was, you know, we were all laughing with her speech as she was getting honored um, years back that she had come up with the cold shoulder and the off the shoulder top and ha ha, you're all making money off of that idea. And, you know, everybody went on to that trend and looked at it and, you know, people were coming and saying, I want the same top this year. It did really well. So, you know, always with my teams, I, I tried to engage them to come up with something new. The consumer knows the consumer understands what's been there. They'll shop to get the cheapest item that's the same. And we as design have to come up with the excitement and, and get people engaged more on the consumer level. One of the things that I've been thinking about a lot is how do we think about the rising generation? So a lot of us work in education uh, with students as part of what we do. And we've all been forced to move online. Um, some of us, it's been easier than others. Uh, but what I think that I'm realizing is this is a moment, and I tell my students this, that you're learning how to collaborate in a digital space. So actually, as you go out into the workforce, you're going to have skills that you actually need to work in this new environment. 
And um, everyone is going to be level set going into this next phase of our work lives. And um, because a lot of them are very fearful about what's going to happen because they feel like they've been bereft of a full education. And and that makes sense. And there's a lot of fear around that and not being able to finish out their, especially for seniors, their, their final year. And yet my guess is that a lot of employers will be looking to exactly these students to fill their ranks because these are the students that lived through it, that had to study through it, and that sort of had to engage in it in a way that no one else really had to. And then also have the tools to do that because they are a generation that's very native to technology. So that's one of the things I've been thinking about is how do we, um, you know, we start to think about I don't know. I think there's been a lot of push against millennials and Gen Z in particular. And there's a lot of, you know, the baby boomers and Gen X are better. I I just, I don't even see it that way. I really do think that these generations bring their own unique ideas um, to the table. And if anything, going into the next period of business, we're going to have to rely a lot on this younger generation to come up with solutions that will help us to bring our businesses forward. I think far too many businesses have been resting on their laurels uh, for the last five to 10 years, hoping that they can figure things out. And now they don't have a choice. They really are at the precipice of having to make decisions in order to continue forward. As we sort of wrap up tonight, I wanted to give you, uh, if you want, a chance to sort of share any last minute thoughts that you have. The whole goal of tonight was to really talk about our own experiences and how we're thinking about you know COVID-19 and what's going to happen in the next few months. And I realize most of us have no idea. If we did, we would all be very, very wealthy, I suppose, right? <laughs> Solving the, the 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 world's biggest problem. But I think we're all trying and we're all thinking about what that could look like. And um, I'd love to open that up to anyone who has some thoughts or would like to share what you're, you're thinking. I wouldn't mind going first. Um, the one thing I was thinking about is that, you know, I read an article the other day about how I think a lot of people may have seen this article about how we're all about to be gaslit uh, it coming out of the out of the pandemic, uh, you know, once things the the economy opens back up, they're going to start advertising to us to get back into stores and start shopping or get online and buy things, and it's going to be as if nothing happened. You know, they're really going to try to keep it moving as if nothing of this happened. And I think that I think it's I think that's a big mistake because. This this is an unprecedented uh, time that we're living in right now, and this is a this was a, a situation that none of us could ever had imagined would would happen. And I think the way for brands to um, to move forward is to acknowledge that and to acknowledge that things were hard and to acknowledge that this was a crazy time and that this was something that we again never could have could have never seen happening. And instead of pretending as if we can just go back to the way things were. Like, let's let's deal with how much we've been through. Let's talk about it. Let's act as if, you know, we we acknowledge it instead of just acting as if, you know, it, it, none of it hap- ever happened and just let's get back to the store and start buying again. You know, let's get back to like spending our dollars. And let's really think about the fact that some people, most people, a lot of people that I knew, you know, they missed a paycheck and that was it. They couldn't pay rent, you know, one paycheck threw them in, in a complete tailspin. And I think that we need to acknowledge that we have lost people and that things really changed. This is a time of massive change. And instead of pretending it didn't happen and let's just get back to where it was, let's acknowledge it and let's move forward in a more thoughtful way 
when we're advertising, when we're marketing. I think that's important. I agree 100%. I think that while we have to see the opportunities in this crisis, it is really important to remain factual and acknowledge what's gone on and figure out what we can build off of from our new normals that we set, you know? And as we talked about, you know, education and equaling out that playing field and having people of, you know, all different ages engaging in new forms of podcasts and video and short form videos. I think it's the way of the future, but that kind of transparency that what you're talking about, Phil, I think is really going to be important post COVID because it is a form of PTSD that we're all experiencing right now. Well said, both of you. I think uh, all that you noted is is really our new normal. And I'm just hoping that people are a little bit more sensitive to, to really people that are suffering so much and that maybe the businesses that are doing well can, can help again on another level. And there are many things that are happening that are pretty amazing out there um, individually and uh, company-wide in terms of people helping people. I just feel like it's it's going to be different and, and personal stories, engagement, social media, all this coming together is going to be you know, a transparent way for companies to kind of go, come forward and recreate themselves always with disruption. There is newness and there is there are bright, um, bright parts of, of life that that come forward. And I'm hoping that on a creative level as well in design, in merchandising, in all these these parts of this business, this fashion business that that we all come together and find uh, find ways of being super creative and and going back to that kind of personal story that everybody has going through this crisis. I'm so glad that you all sort of shared those thoughts. And I know Karen's experiencing some sound difficulty. And one of the things I was thinking about actually related to that is that here we are having a podcast recording and we're hoping that the sound quality is good enough but we really don't have any choice we're all sort of at home stuck and and we're using the tools that we have in order to have this conversation and uh, i think that's one and two i sometimes wonder if we would be having any conversation even though we all work together in this sort of format without these circumstances and so i have to think that if anything we've had a chance to sort of commune together in a different way than I think a lot of us has experienced over the last five or 10 years. If anything, I might be a little overwhelmed with how much conversation I've had with people over the last four weeks because we I've had to reach out to people. I've literally had to call people and have a conversation with them and make sure that they're okay. And before this, I sort of just assumed that they were and that they would reach out if they weren't. And uh, so anyway, I, I think that these uh, extraordinary times do and are facilitating conversations like these as much as maybe the quality isn't perfect. I think the ideas and, and the opportunity to have these conversations might be the biggest force for change in the end, that we're actually just having conversation. 
and that these conversations will turn into action that make a difference. We're so excited and so glad that you are here with us tonight and listening. Um, it is evening here in New York City. It is happy hour. We are enjoying our drinks. I must say all of us are enjoying uh, our fashion consort tonics, and we will continue to offer uh, lovely drinks that you can enjoy with us as you listen in. Thank you so much for tuning in to Fashion Consort News Bites. News Bites is a Fashion Consort production. Visit fashionconsort.com for more information.